Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. How thankful are you for that time of worship? I don't know if it's the heat outside or the coolness of the room, but there's an energy that you guys are singing with this morning that I hope now translates as we transition into the teaching of God's Word. If you're a guest with us, we're just so thankful you're here. We are in the middle of a series this summer called God's Heart, Our City. Uh, Our desire at Salem Heights Church is to not build a kingdom on our name, but to glorify the Lord's name and to be about the Lord's work in our city. And so this entire summer, we've been trying to investigate what is it that God would call us to give to the city, and what is it that God desires for everyone that lives in Salem, whether they attend Salem Heights Church, another church, or they're far from Jesus. And so uh, each week we've been kind of unpacking some of the different parts of what that means, and we've also been exploring Um, Three different gifts that we feel called to expand and offer to our city in the next five years. And this morning, one of those gifts that we're going to talk about again is the gift of biblical counseling. As uh, many of you know, our church uh, has a biblical counseling ministry here that we offer freely to both people who attend our church, but anyone in the community who's seeking help for, for anything that they're struggling with, and they can come to our church. And one of the questions that has been asked of us as pastors and leaders is, why would we do that? Why would we open ourselves up to take on very complex, difficult cases from people who maybe don't even attend our church? And the reason is because God loves those people. God cares about every one of those people. And as we've unpacked this summer through uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, God has called us not only to care for one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord, he's called us to have a care for those outside our church. And so each week we've unpacked this, each gift that we've unpacked, we've invited a special guest who has some unique experience and training and background in that field. And we've, we've shared our vision for the city. And we've asked them, how does that sound to you? Is that something that excites you? And, and each of these guest speakers has said, man, that is, that's something that I can get excited about. And so this morning, I am uh, privileged to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning, Lee Lewis. Would you guys welcome Lee up to the pulpit? Uh, Many of you may recognize Lee. Lee was here this past March, uh, and he spoke at our marriage conference. And uh, Lee, uh, our time together has been sweet. Your friendship uh, means a lot to me. But tell uh, those who maybe weren't here in March, or uh, just kind of refresher uh, about your family and where you're currently serving in ministry. Um, I I live in Austin, Texas. Uh, I was looking forward to coming to the cool weather up here, and um, evidently I brought the 50 plus days of 100 plus up here. Sorry about that. Um, But no, I I serve as a pastor in Austin, Texas. We've been there about four years. Um, Before that, we lived in Canada for three years, and then we were in the Dallas area for 10. Um, I've pastored since 2005, um, and uh, yeah, I've got a a wife, Andrea. She's she's a a rock. Um, And then my two boys, uh, 15 and 13, they're at youth camp right now, melting in uh, in uh, South Texas. And then my two girls are with Mama at home, um, Miriam and Leah. So, 
And not only do you uh, have a background in pastoral ministry, but you've also been part of an organization that um, deals specifically with soul care. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so my background is in counseling. Uh, I always wanted to be a pastor, though. In fact, that's why I went to seminary, was to get my degree uh, towards pastoral ministry. And on the side, I worked on a master's of arts in marriage and family counseling and ended up starting a private practice thinking I was going to plant a church one day. And so while I had a private practice, got into the local church as a pastor and was kind of doing both at the same time. That's when I learned about biblical counseling. So all that to say, all these years later, uh, I've partnered with uh, a great mentor, a great friend of mine named uh, Dr. Garrett Higby, um, he uh, started a ministry called, called Soul Care Consulting, and we work with churches all over the place trying to help them evaluate their culture of care um, and, and really implement like um, different aspects that would help them minister well to their own and minister to the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we are so linked in philosophy is that we believe that um, counseling and coming alongside people is not just the job of the pastor and the staff, but actually the Lord calls his church to that one another soul care. And uh, this morning, you're going to help us understand why that's important, but why we should also care about doing that to the community. So can I pray for you? Let's pray for Lee, and then he'll deliver the word. God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to bring our brother out here, bro- uh, Brother Lee here, and We just ask, God, that you would uh, give him clarity, give him energy. God, you have given him uh, a text of scripture to unpack for us this morning, but we want to hear you speak through Lee. So we ask that he'd be your messenger and that that we would be encouraged and challenged by what he shares this morning. God, we're thankful for uh, what you've prepared in his heart and mind, and now ask that you'd help us listen to it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, Turn in your Bible to... Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> I got to be on my game today because I'm long-winded. Um, and, uh, and so I want to get us out of here in time uh, to, to be able to get the other service in here. So um, there's a lot to unpack here. And so I'll do my best to unpack as much as I can. But, but um, I, I want you to just kind of hear my heart. Like soul care is what I do. Um, I try to equip churches in and around the areas of soul care. Um, but, but I want you to see from scripture that this isn't a man-made idea. This is God's very heart uh, for the church and, and to those in, in the world that he's drawing into salvation through Jesus Christ. So let me read these two verses and then we'll unpack them. Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So right out of the gate, what we see, and, and Paul's ri- writing this letter to this church, the Galatian church, um, he's, he's drawing off of a, of a, of a, of a, of a story that, that, that we read in the Gospels, okay? Um, and you see right out of the gate when he says, that, see that word caught? That word caught right there in verse one. That it, like, it, it just seems like, a, like just kind of a throwaway word until you really look at it in its context. And, and what, what I believe, and I think many other commentators that I've studied would believe, is that, the, that Paul's drawing off of a story that we read about in John chapter eight. Write, write John eight down and go back and read it at some point this week. It's the woman caught in the act of adultery. It's a famous story. It's the story when Jesus scribbles in the dirt. The same phrase about that woman caught in the act of adultery is the very phrase that Paul draws upon from John chapter 8. So this picture of being caught, it's, it's a picture of being tricked by the devil or 
tricked by your sinful flesh. Anybody in the room fall in one of those two categories? Everybody better get your hand up. (laughs) So like the, the woman caught in the act of adultery feels like a bit of an extreme story, but Paul's normalizing this reality. That we're all far more caught and easily caught by the devil in our flesh than we would even know. Or, in many cases, care to be honest about. So why would Paul do this? Why would Paul use this type of language to describe an aspect that the church, the body of Christ, not a building, the people of God, should engage when it comes to ministry? So this picture of being tricked by the devil or tricked by our weakened flesh falling into weakness, here's a question for us all to consider. What Paul in essence is saying is that the church should be a place for a person like her. Let me tell you about this woman. This woman had a reputation. This woman um, was, was easy prey for the Pharisees to set up because she um, was a woman who gave herself away over and over. She was probably into prostitution to some degree. Either case, she had multiple, multiple, multiple cases of adultery in her life. The Pharisees used her reputation against her, set her up, caught her in the act of adultery, drug her to the feet of Jesus in her shame, not just shame, she was probably half clothed, drug her to the feet of Jesus, and they say, hey, hey, teacher, The law says that this woman should be stoned to death. What say you? And it's the famous story where Jesus bends down, he scribbles in the dirt. Nobody knows what he scribbled. It doesn't really matter. It's conjecture. But he takes some time, clearly. And then he says, you without sin throw the first stone. And the text actually says that from oldest to youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. I just think that's so interesting how some of the young dummies still had their rock. There's a way that life kind of beats it out of you, huh? (laughs) The young ones hadn't realized it yet, right? But from oldest to youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, "Um, where are your accusers? There are none. Then, Then go and sin no more. So he calls her to repentance, but he cleanses her. He forgives her. And so here's the question I want us to wrestle with as church folk. Would that type of person, that woman, feel safe in a place like this? Because <laughs> Paul's saying the church should be a place for a person like this. And don't get lost in her sin. Don't get lost in what she did or didn't do. She's caught in a transgression that, that is owning her. And, and, but, but by the grace of God, we would all be there, right? Huh? Like if God took his hand off our life, who knows what we're capable of? Like it's easy to point the finger at all the other people who struggle in their particular areas. But, but, but then like if, 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 if someday God just removed his grace from us, we'd be in the pig pen just like him. Right? And so what, what Paul is instructing the church to be is a place that draws in and ministers to this type of person. And here's what, and you have to read the whole context of, of chapter six to understand this, but the context of chapter six assumes that this brokenness is a recognized brokenness that recognizes its, needed, needing, its, its, its need for healing. So it's, 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 it's a person who's saying, I'm trapped, I'm stuck, I don't even know how to help myself, would you help me? That's different than the person who's saying, I don't care what you think about my lifestyle, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. They're not asking for help. They're not asking. This type of brokenness recognizes it 
but recognizes its need for healing and help. It's implied in the whole chapter. And that the picture of this restoration comes to those in this type of ensnaring sin, but that are sorrowful over that sin in need of restoration. And God's chosen vessel for this type of restoration, for this type of struggler is, guess what? The church. The church. The church should be the greatest hospital in the world. I'm not talking about pills. I'm talking about spiritual care. The type of deep cleaning work that only the spirit of God, only the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ can produce inside of a person. So it's a good start, right? You're like, man, this is, sounds like a good, a good church. I'd like to be a part of this church. Sounds like it's not a judgy church. Sounds like it's not a legalistic church, a self-righteous church. Sounds like a church where I can invite anybody in my neighborhood, regardless of the struggle. They're gonna hear the word, but they're gonna be loved well. That's exactly what Paul has in mind. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, spiritual, uh, in a spirit of gentleness. So now Paul's gonna give instruction for such, a, such an occasion of this type of ministry. So if this type of person comes into my office or sends me an email um, on a Monday after a Sunday service and just, in fact, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. Um, person visited our church for the first time um, and I happened to be preaching that week um, and they sent me a long email that afternoon. It was, a, it was a brave email. They laid their whole story out in the email, risky <laughs> and, and, and yet full of faith. And, and, and just like in essence asking, can you help me? And so said, yes, I cleared my schedule to meet with this person to begin to draw this person into, guess what? Not my office, the church, the people. Because I trust that God has gifted many people, many saints in our body, in this body to minister to this woman. And, and that's God's design for the church. But he gives instruction for this type of ministry, the who, the what, and the how. So who's to do such type of ministry? Because this sounds like some heavy lifting, doesn't it? Think of the woman caught in the act of adultery. You're like, yeah, I'm not capable of ministering to that woman. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. And Paul's gonna beg to differ as well. So who's to do it? Look right there, you who are spiritual. Paul is, man, he's a comedian in some ways. Like it just seems like a statement, but he's doing multiple things with this statement. Here's what he's saying. You who are spiritual, did you know that when you respond to God's woo on your heart towards salvation and you repent of your sins and declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that the third person of the Trinity comes inside of you. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Paul is saying, do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you a Christian? You're good. You got my word? You're good. Some of the best biblical counselors I've ever known never had certification, never had degrees. They loved the word, they loved God's people, and they were full of the Holy Spirit. And at the right time, the Spirit would move through them to minister to the least of these, to minister to the hurting, to minister to the broken. That was way above their pay grade, way above their pay grade. My grandmother was one of these people. Like that, that woman didn't graduate from high school. And, and yet, as when God saved her and, and my grandfather as well, both first generation Christians, like you would consistently see people in their living room when I would go to visit them. They were just praying for people, reading scripture over people, counseling people. And, and they, they never had been trained in any form of biblical counseling training, but they were ministering to people through God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You who are spiritual, 
you're able to minister to these. You see why God's call for soul care is to the body? Now, there's another theme in Galatians 6 that is important. Like, if, if you're new to the faith, like there's a guy I'm walking with right now, he's maybe eight months into his faith. And it's so interesting because like this guy, he, he doesn't really even know scripture yet. He's learning. I mean, like he, he didn't grow up around anything remotely Christian. He grew up with a dad who loved meth. He grew up on the streets pretty much. Just a dog-eat-dog world that this guy grew up in. Like it's common for him to greet me with a cuss word somewhere in there because he's still rough around the edges. But the spirit of God is in this guy and, and, and I probably wouldn't put a schizophrenic with him for, for, for this guy Mike to, to walk with him. I'm, I'm probably not gonna put this really hard scenario with Mike to walk with him, but let me tell you about Mike. God's using Mike already like a person in his life in his CrossFit gym is going through some marriage struggles and he's seen it important because he's a CrossFit coach to go and just spend time with this guy and work out with this guy. And he's like, I don't really know what to tell him. I was like, well, what do y'all talk about? He's like, well, I just try to encourage him and all the things that he's encouraged me and things like loving Jesus more and praying more and just like trusting the Lord in this hard season. I'm like, bro, you're counseling him. <laughs> The spirit of God is moving through you to minister to a guy that actually helped lead you to the faith. Isn't that amazing? Eight months into his faith and he's already counseling the word because the spirit of God indwells him. Don't underestimate the Holy Spirit inside of you. You who are spiritual is referring to the Holy Spirit that indwells in you. But here's the other thing Paul is doing. And this to me is the comical side. Paul is picking a fight with the Gnostic culture. You know what Gnosticism is? Gnosticism in that day and age. We have it in our day and age. We just don't call it Gnosticism. Gnosticism is special revelation. That people could come to a special revelation. This is how cults are started, by the way. (laughs) People could come to a special revelation that nobody else could come to. So it's just for a few of these. And because these few of these have the special revelation, we're all the less than. And we need to listen to the special revelation people because they're the ones that, are, that are, are, are benefited enough to receive such special knowledge. I, I call it our guru culture. We, we, we always want the professional. We always want the guru. And in fact, I, I see this a lot in our counseling ministry. It's like people will, will come with that, that mindset and it's just kind of ingrained into us because of our culture, I think. But they, they come thinking like, well, I know y'all have a lay counseling ministry, but I need to talk to Lee because I know he's got a professional counseling degree. And I'm like, I, you just walked by three of the best in our church to get to me and actually would defer to them anyway because they have 20 years on me. The guru culture. We, we always want the specialist. We'll walk by six godly men or women to get to the subject matter expert. And listen, there's a place for the subject matter expert. There are people in the professional community that I refer to because they're specialists in particular areas that I want to be able to dial in very specifically with the person who's struggling with some type of difficulty, but not at the cost of drawing them out of this. They dip into that to get some extra care, but the body of Christ is where they get the bulk of their care, the bulk of their community. Because this church, the body of Christ, not a building, this body of believers is God's design to redeem a people that he's drawing into redemption through Jesus Christ. So I'm quite confident that there are people waking up from a hangover somewhere in Salem today that are on the clock for salvation. And you know where God's gonna draw them? Well, we're gonna learn later here in this text that if you're faithful, 
that God entrusts broken, broken people that he's saving to churches who are faithful. I tell you the church that I grew up in, the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8, she wouldn't have been welcome at my church. She would have tried to come and God bless her if she tried, she would have had more shame heaped on her. Because I live in a small town, everybody talks. And we're a bunch of people who don't struggle with anything and you airbrush yourself to walk into the church because nobody has any struggles. Yet everybody's, they're secretly closet racists, closet alcoholics, closet this, closet affairs. But we're all fine at church, right? It's bull crud. It's bull crud. Because everybody was withering away secretly because nobody was walking in the light and being transparent. And, and, and yet there's something beautiful when we take God's invitation to live in the light. Strongholds are broken. Addictions are broken. Wounds are healed. Abuse is brought into the light and healed. Marriages are reconciled. And on and on and on you could go because of the gospel of Christ and we being children of the light. When we walk in the light, God draws people from the dark into the light. The question that Paul is having us wrestle with as the people of God is, is Salem Heights Church a place that can be entrusted to steward such brokenness? And that is not for the lay counselors here. That is not for the pastors. They're a part of it. This is the work of the saints because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Okay. And I love that this church has an awesome biblical counseling ministry. And, and this is my second time here, but I've spent more time talking with the leadership of your church than just the two visits. And I just want to tell you, you have a gift here. You have a gift here. Um, there are many powerful things happening that are a work of the Lord um, that, are, that are meant to be salt and light to this community, which means God is saving people in that community. And he intends to draw them into this place to be ministered to and discipled. That's soul care. That's soul care. So who is to do it? You who are spiritual, what? What are we supposed to do? So from the who to the what? What? We are to restore restore. This picture of restore, you have to take it with restore in gentleness, but we'll talk about restoration first. This is restoration ministry, and it would be like a doctor setting a bone. When I was um, young, I played baseball, and I got hit by a pitch in a game right on the, the left forearm. It fractured the bone, the lower bone, um, but it was a hairline fracture. And so my dad being the man that he is, he's a great man. Like he's, he's the man in my life, but he's a man's man. And so he didn't have time to bleed type guy, right? And he, he's a blue collar guy. He's worked with his hands his whole life. And so the company he owned, I worked for growing up. And so it was landscaping and manual labor and lots of things around that. And so I worked with him that whole summer after I broke my arm and my arm just was throbbing for weeks and weeks but I didn't get to go to a doctor because we don't have time for that until my compassionate mother finally stepped in and took me to the doctor. And sure enough, they x-rayed it and I had a broken, broken forearm. So the doctor who was the town doctor, right? He, he's the doctor to everybody. He knows all your stuff, right? He had going to his office, Dr. Bob. He tells me a bit about what's got to happen. I was secretly excited to get a cast because that was kind of cool because you all your friends signed it, you know? I don't even know if they do that anymore, but that was a big deal. Like that got you some credibility in the schools because your friends would sign your cast. So that's all I was thinking about was getting a cast. But he told me we got to reset the bone, Okay. And once the bones reset, then we'll put the cast on. And he said, this is gonna feel like fire shoots through your bones when I touch these bones back together. Oh man, he was right. He was right. I mean, it's like fire shot through my body when those bones touched. 
and then he casted it. But you know what happened? The bones healed. Restoration, mini, restoration ministry um, is, is never promised to be um, easy and pain-free. That woman caught in the act of adultery, if she shows up at our church and she starts to lean into soul care at our church, I easily think like, well, this is the next six months of my life with her. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of energy. And even then, it's no guarantee that she's gonna change because I can't change hearts. The Lord's gotta do that work, right? Like, like the, the church can't promise pain-free ministry. But what we can promise is to do it in a spirit of gentleness, which is what we're about to talk to. But this, this restoration ministry, it, it carries with it some griminess. It carries with it some pain. And, and I know this church knows about that. You've seen people come in that were hurting. You've seen marriages that needed restoration that seemed like they had no hope and they were bloody and they were painful and they were even taking people down to the left and right of them. But as people kept their eyes on Jesus and he kept doing that work and we kept being faithful ministers of the gospel to restore because the spirit indwells in us, we watched the Lord show up and do a miracle and save and reconcile. And we're like, oh, all of our minds are blown. It's one of my favorite stories at the church when a life group at our church takes in a couple who's struggling in their marriage and they all rally around this marriage. And then months later, as this couple repents and gets their heart right with Jesus and as they restore their marriage and reconcile their marriage, everybody in the group watched it. And all of their minds were blown at what Jesus did to save that marriage. That's soul care. That's not hinging on me as the counselor. That's the saints doing the work of ministry with that hurting husband, with that hurting wife, all for the glory of the Lord. And I tell you, like if the church isn't striving to be what Paul's talking about here, God won't send those hurting people he's saving to a local fellowship. He'll send them somewhere else because he's doing the saving work in Salem. And, and, and will you be a faithful people that takes seriously this call of soul care to steward well who he would send as he's saving and delivering from the domain of darkness? So I put this call before you not to all go get trained in biblical counseling. All that would, that would be phenomenal if you did. Emily, get ready. You're going to be busy. But to take serious the reality that you have the Holy Spirit in you. Know the word, be available to be a minister of the gospel, be engaged in the covenant community here at Salem. So that's the who to the what, now the how. You have to, to restore in gentleness together, but how it should be done in a spiritual, a spirit of gentleness. And in Christian maturity, it brings with it more and more gentleness. I love being around old saints. If you're an old saint in this room, um, man, this church needs you. Like, it, like man, don't, don't, don't retire from the faith. <laughs> like the wisdom you have and the, the, the maturity you have, like it's needed. I, I'm, I still feel young. I'm 43, but I still feel young. I put myself around older men because the maturity of Christ in them pours over onto me. Because I got teenagers now and they raise teenagers. And I'm like, dude, tell me what you did when he was 15. <laughs> tell me what you did when your 11 year old thought she was 18, right? because I need that. I need that as a man of God to be poured into by other men of God. But this picture of gentleness, it's a beautiful picture. 
It's perfectly displayed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was um, gentle and lowly. But this maturity that comes in following Christ in, in walking in the power of the Spirit, this amazing gentleness for the ministry of restoration comes over us more and more so that we can minister the gospel in a winsome and careful way, not shying away from the truth, but speaking the truth in love, in skill and compassion. This picture of, of gentleness, it, there's th- several attitudes that work against this picture of gentleness. The first is the passive heart. The passive heart sees somebody who's struggling, sees somebody he ne- who needs some soul care and has the attitude of it's none of my business, none of my business, and they walk right by it. You see this in Luke tap- chapter 10, verse 25. Remember the parable of the Samaritan? Remember? This, this, this man is lame in the ditch, probably close to death, and different religious leaders walk by him. They don't want to touch him. They don't want to deal with him. And then an unclean person, the Samaritan, comes by and brings him in and begins to do gentle restoration for this man. The passive heart says, none of my business. Well, I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that with me and you. <laughs> I'm so glad Jesus made it his business to leave heaven and come into earth. He was under no compulsion to do so. Do you know that? Like Jesus was under no obligation to come to earth, live the life that we couldn't live sinless and die the death we deserved. No compulsion to do so. And he did it. He didn't have a passive attitude towards us. There's another attitude that works against this gentle restoration. It's the condemning heart. The the condemning heart says this, serves them right. Serves them right. It's graceless. I've heard this attitude in churches more than I care to. In fact, when I, I work with lots of different churches and this is like one of the privileges of being to work with you guys a bit. It's like, it's like easy to come here, trust me. And it's not because of the, it's beautiful here. I mean, it's beautiful. It's not the scenery. It's the warmth with you. It's the love with you. I can easily call you family, brothers and sisters. That's not hard for me. There's some churches I go into and I'm like, y'all saved? I don't say that, but I'm thinking it because it's cold, it's ice cold. It's ice cold and the way that they see the sinner tells me a lot about their attitude. And the gracelessness works, flies in the face of this gentle restoration. You see this in Luke 18. Remember the Pharisee who prayed to himself. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not like them. It's graceless. It's self-righteous. And the wayward sinner, the struggler, like we're far more like them than we are like Jesus, trust me. Yeah, you think of the worst person you can think of. Think of a serial killer. You have more in common with them than you do Jesus at this point in life because we're not glorified yet. Like let that hit you a bit. Like our flesh is still alive and well. We are not made fully like Christ yet. That reality of the gospel saving us has direct influence in how we see others. In fact, all of the one another's of scripture, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. You know, and on and on you can go with one another's. They're all commands from God to us, but they perfectly reflect God's character and how Jesus perfectly lived that out for and towards us. In other words, we're the benefactors of all of that. We're to be what we've been shown. I forgive because I've been forgiven. I bear with because he's borne my sin and shame. 
I love because he loved me first. So the gospel is always the motivation for this type of ministry. So this gentle restoration, um, there's a picture that I have when, when I was diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 14. I think I shared a bit about this when I came for the marriage conference. Um, uh, that summer that they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me um, was a summer like the summer we're having in Texas. It was like an epic summer. In fact, it was 120 degrees one day in Lubbock, Texas. So I was like, is that climate change or is it just like a different, I don't know, I'm not here to pick an argument on all that, but like it was really hot that summer, okay? It's not, heat's not new. Like it's a, it was hot that summer and I'm getting off on a tangent. Let me get back on the text. And um, that summer where they tried to figure out what was wrong with me, um, they didn't know yet. I hadn't had a major surgery that was like days away from happening. Um, I was in, in radiology and when you're sick like that, I, I'd lost like 40 pounds and I was just like skeleton skinny and I, I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't eat, I couldn't keep anything down. And so many of those tests that they do for the GI system r- require like inks and dyes and fluids you drink while they take x-rays and they all taste awful. <laughs> And so I'm taking one of these tests and I can't keep the fluid down. I just keep throwing it up. <laughs> and the, uh, the radiology doctor was, um, didn't have great bedside manner. That's the nicest way I can say it. Um, he began to manhandle me. And it's good my dad went in the room, um, but he began to manhandle me. And, and so he resorted to um, putting a tube down my nose, down my throat so that they could get, they could get the fluid down into my system. Um, well, there's a there's a right way to do that. He did it the wrong way and he just began to jam it down my nose. I could taste blood in my throat. Um, and I, I remember like, and I was like starting to cry. I was, like, I was like 14. And I remember seeing somebody like in my peripheral vision coming and it was another doctor. And the doctor forcibly grabbed the, the, the radiology doctor and removed him, said, get away. And he, <laughs> he grabbed the, and I'll never forget this. Like it was a spiritual moment. He grabbed the back of my neck And he said, take a deep breath. This is gonna hurt. And while I did that, the tube went all the way in. And it did, it hurt. But the calming presence of him gently guiding that delivered what needed to be delivered for my health's sake. That's gentle restoration. This is gonna hurt. But my my commitment is to be gentle and careful with you. That's the church. We don't manhandle people. Like we speak the truth but we do it in love. We do it in compassion. Like, I don't understand spiritual abuse. I don't understand it. I understand hardened hearts who don't respond to truth, but then when people start beating people up and using the Bible as a weapon, I don't understand that because that's not the heart of our loving father. So who, you who are spiritual, that's everyone who's a Christian because you have the Holy Spirit in you, what restore and then how it should be done in the spiritual spirit of gentleness. And then I want you to see this, and this is what sums it all up. Look at verse two. Bear one another's burdens. That bear, bear one another's burdens, it, it carries with it like this is your burden to carry. There's several single mothers at our church right now whose husbands have left them for other partners and left them all with kids and left them all with bills. And God's entrusted these women. It's interesting because they all came at different stages. He's entrusted these women and their children to us. And it's been amazing to watch the people of God get around these women and they have a great burden to carry. And and it's theirs to carry. 
But here's what the bear one another's burdens means. You have to carry this, but I got a shoulder. Let me grab a corner of that heavy box and let's, let's go side by side together in this. I can't take the weight off of you. Jesus offers that, but I can come alongside you and take some of the weight off you. That's bearing with. You see why anybody in the church can do that? Because the spirit provokes you to see somebody's brokenness and he's not asking you to fix them. He fixes. He's just saying, just bring a shoulder. Just bring a shoulder to carry some of the weight. See why you don't have to be a counselor to do that? (laughs) So you don't have certification to do that? You have the spirit of God that like moves you for and towards people's brokenness, stirs you towards people's needs. This is why anytime there's a catastrophe in the world, the church of God is from all over the world is the first to be there. Hollywood gets there eventually because there's a bunch of philanthropists, a bunch of humanists. But the church is always the ones who are in the trenches ministering to those needs because we're moved by the spirit of God towards those who are hurting. So we bear with, it's an incredible ministry. It's often thankless. We don't do it for the thanks though. We do it for the glory of the Lord. But then it's so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Guess what? The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So because y'all preach the gospel here, as you grow in the gospel, the one another should be a natural byproduct of that because God perfectly displays all of the one another's towards us. Jesus perfectly lived out all the one another's towards us. And as we minister that gospel to our own hearts by preaching it to our own souls. As we set under it as a covenant community, we then filter that out into the community with those who God, I am confident, is saving even now that he wants to draw into here and entrust to Salem Heights Church. Are you available for that type of soul care ministry? So if somebody asks you, if I quiz you later, what's your ministry at the church? I would hope you would say soul care. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the gentleness and the restoration that you've provided for us through Jesus Christ, where Jesus received wrath, we receive your gentle forgiveness. Where Jesus died, we are given forgiveness in life. And so it's because of this restoration, it's because of this reconciliation that you've made possible for us to you through Jesus Christ as a loved people as a cared for people, as a people who were once lost, but now have a family and now have a perfect father, as a people who've been saved by this beautiful gospel, the greatest story the world has ever known. Let us be a people who minister this way to one another, who express this love into the community. I just think of the darkness in the Pacific Northwest and to think that there's such a hope-filled light in the middle of all that in Salem Heights is such a blessing for me as a Christ follower. 
So to think of how you're equipping this body to be available to steward those hurting in the community that you're going to save, that you're going to minister to, that you're gonna draw into the light. What a beautiful picture. I pray that more and more Salem Heights Church would be known for your love. That they would know that the people in this community would know that these people are Christians because of your love through them. And they'd be drawn to it, be drawn to you. And so Lord, you promised to equip us for the work of ministry. So I pray you would equip these saints to continue because I know they have been to continue to minister at this unbelievably high level filled with the power of the spirit. We're all incapable because none of us can change the human heart, but we know you do Jesus. We know you do. We know that you are because you changed us. (laughs) We were unchangeable on our own. You changed us. So we want to be faithful, faithful with our brothers and sisters here, faithful with those in the community. So God be glorified in all of this for your namesake, for your kingdom. And one day (laughs) we're going to hear story after story after story in heaven of how you saved, how you delivered. And so thank you that you, you don't need us for any of this story that you're writing, but thank you for calling us into it. Help us to be faithful with the soul care of the saints and those who you're saving. In Jesus' name, amen.